hear again the word of God written in the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to John. Jesus said, my flesh is true, true food and my blood is true drink. Please be seated. Uh, we find ourselves today in the fourth of five Sundays in which we're immersed in the fifth chapter of uh, sixth chapter of the gospel according to John. It's a pivotal chapter, an important chapter in the structure and the message of that gospel. And the, the verses that uh, Andy just read that are our lesson for today are the pivotal part, the most important part of that, uh, of that uh, uh, chapter. But I have to admit that I myself anyway have difficulty dealing with this notion of the body of Christ as something we consume and the blood of Christ as something we drink. The Jews, the authorities who were there at the time obviously had trouble with that. It's, it's uh, on its face anyway, com contrary to the Torah, completely opposite and anathema in our, in our life, in our world. Just not something that we would ever countenance. Just, just all wrong. Scholars have written a great deal about this, uh, about this passage. Um, uh, and, and, the, and there are all kinds of theories about what it was Jesus was trying to get at. But, you know, in a way, it doesn't matter what the scholars say. What matters is what you and I think and how you and I take it in. A few, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, serving a church outside of Baltimore, and we got to the point in the Eucharist where uh, Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, uh, uh, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to the people, and the words are, take, eat, this is my body, and somebody in about the second row, a young child in about the second row said, Ooh. <laughs> well, you know, in a way, that young child took this whole business more seriously than most of us probably do. I mean, he took it literally, and maybe we're supposed to take it literally somehow, some way. But the question for us is, how does it affect us? What does it mean to us? How does it change our lives, if at all? How does it help us cope with the ups and downs of life? To deal with the uncertainties of the world in which we live. I recently read a really good novel that I commend to you. Uh, it's called The Cat's Table and it was written by Michael Ondaatje. Uh, uh, Michael Ondaatje's better known novel is The English Patient, which was written um, 20 years or more ago and turned into a movie. The book was a prize winner and so was the movie. And The Cat's Table is a really, is a really excellent novel, I think. It's the story of a, young, a, of a young man, maybe partially autobiographical, a young man named Michael who travels uh, from his home in Ceylon, Sri Lanka, to London to start a new life. He's going to a new school, to a new home, everything is new, but for three weeks he's on a, on a boat with people he doesn't know. He's assigned for, at mealtimes to the cat's table. The cat's table is the polar opposite of the captain's table. The captain's table is where all the prominent people are, are invited, but the people who are a little, 
who are alone or just don't fit in somewhere else sit at the cat's table. The, 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 character, the cast of characters that he comes to know are a, uh, a retired shipbreaker, if you know what a shipbreaker is, you know what that might mean, uh, a, uh, uh, a, a, a down-on-his-luck jazz musician, uh, a deaf mute, uh, best of all, a woman who's so fond of pigeons that she has uh, made herself a coat with lots of pockets on the inside so she can carry the pigeons around with her. And two, uh, and two young boys the same age as Michael. And because of the fact he has to, every night he's at the same table eating with these people, uh, he comes to learn a lot about life in this sort of microcosm of the three weeks on the, uh, on the boat. The boat is called the Orance. And uh, Andace writes this about that. It seemed to us that nearly all at our table might have an interesting reason for their journey, even if it was unspoken or so far undisclosed. Our table's status on the Arance continued to be minimal. That was a small lesson I learned, that what is interesting and important happens mostly in secret, in places where there is no power. Michael, on this journey, learns about love, learns about ambiguity, learns about disappointment, learns about joy, learns about all of the things in life that we come to learn about over time and in this little microcosm of a boat and at the cat's table. All of us, in my view anyway, all of us do something like that. It's the way we learn. In my house growing up, maybe in yours, missing dinner was a, 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 a very serious offense. You had to have an excellent excuse if you couldn't get to the dinner table seven nights a week. The dinner table was kind of a sacred place. It was, uh, the, everything was set out in just the right way at just the right time. And, and we, we all gathered. Uh, we we uh, gave thanks for the fact that we were together. Uh, and, then the, and then there was always a conversation. And the conversation uh, was about anything at all. It was a safe place to talk about anything and everything. So secrets were shared, ideas explored. Uh, concepts that, that I knew nothing about, I learned about at the dining room table. How people interact with one another, why somebody acts this way and somebody else acts that way, all of it learned around the, the dining room table. I think that, I, I, I have a theory that the reason so many uh, people end up in the same vocation as their parents is, the, is because they learned it at the dining room table, it's the legacy of the dining room table. I tried to do the same for my children and I'll bet some of you, maybe all of you did the same for yours because that's where we learn. Not the only place, of course, but it's a safe place to learn a lot about the important things in life. We're shaped, our lives are, our lives are shaped, structured, formed at, around the dining room table in ways that we're barely aware of. But it happened because it happens slowly, day by day, year by year, idea by idea, 
conversation by conversation. We've, we're shaped into the people that we are. We come to learn to live the way we come to learn to live because of all of those many, many conversations. It's the macrocosm of which uh, the cat's table is the microcosm. I think it's safe to say that the table was extremely important to Jesus, too. The New Testament is replete with examples of Jesus at table with others. No better example, I suppose, than what begins the sixth chapter of John, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Jesus at table with 5,000 of his closest friends. And a story repeated, as you know, six times throughout the, throughout the gospel. But Jesus was at table with his disciples regularly. He was at table with the Pharisees all the time, invited to dinner by them. He was at table with Simon the leper. He was invited to dinner by uh, 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 Zacchaeus, the, the uh, tax collector. One of, the, one of the best stories in the New Testament is the time that Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he, was, uh, and he met two strangers and two strangers met him and didn't recognize him and they talked and, and the strangers invited him to supper and it was at supper when he took the bread and blessed it and broke it that they realized who he, who he was. And of course, there is no more important table in the New Testament than the table in the upper room on the night before he died. That table. That table is foundational, of course, to who we are as Christian people. In a small irony, underneath that table is a cat. And so that table, we might say, is the cat's table, in a certain sense. But it's a table around which we continue to learn. It's a table around which we continue to be shaped. At that last supper, at that last time, when uh, Jesus was at table with his disciples, he took the bread, broke it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and asked that they do that often in memory of him. No request of Jesus has ever been more fully obeyed. We do this in memory of him day after day, week after week, year after year, in every kind of place, in every kind of situation, for every kind of circumstance. We do it in great cathedrals like the one on Wisconsin Avenue. We do it in mud huts. We do this in memory of him when the when the crop is planted and when it is harvested. We do this in memory of him when, the, when a king is crowned and when a good friend dies. We do this over and over and over again. This daily, weekly, regular recitation of supper with Jesus makes Christ not an abstraction not a metaphor or a symbol, not someone to be emulated, but part of who we are, part of how we are, part of how we conduct ourselves. 
He is integral to our lives in spirit and in truth, in flesh and in blood, which is why Jesus said, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. 